Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness to you to be writing letters. Only 13 we have, Lord, but I know that he wrote many more. And I would ask that you would help us to, to understand the true intent, what he was writing, that you wrote through him or communicated through him. We pray that we would heed the instruction that is given here, whether we are part of making decisions for the church in general or just living out our lives, both civilly and inside the church. Help us to fall in line and be in step with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in the NIV, Titus chapter 1 verse 1 reads, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now this one verse, you, I'm pretty much going to spend almost a whole message on this particular verse. Maybe uh, I'll get to verse 3. But in the NIV, and I like the NIV for several reasons because it communicates a thought for thought. It has been the most popular um, Bible version out there for years. They are going in a direction which I don't really approve of. The later versions are changing uh, some of the pronoun genders and making them neuter. And, and I'm, I'm just not behind that. Eventually I may make a change on that, but I have uh, that I study with uh, an original NIV uh, is an early one. But the NIV in this particular spot, it has uh, a servant of God. And I think that's misleading because a servant, you, you just think, well, he's somebody who serves someone else. And there's much more meaning behind this. The word in the Greek is doulos. A doulos is a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, he goes on to say. But, and, and that's in the New King James Version. It says bondservant. It doesn't just simply say servant. Now, a bond servant is, there's no other term for it, it's a slave. And so it could have been written down, Paul, a slave of God. That would have been an acceptable translation. But since in the Old Testament, the way that slaves were to conduct themselves and the way masters were to treat them, it was more in a servant relationship. But make no mistakes. They were indentured to the person that was providing for them. And it would be for a period of six years, seventh year, they'd get to go three free or on the year of Jubilee. And I'll explain that in a minute. But this idea of being a bondservant, you know, there's a, vi a vibrant and brutal slave trade that is widely condemned going throughout the world. And as we gather here this morning, it's taking place everywhere. And I did a little research on this. There are more slaves today than there have ever been slaves. Now, the percentage has dropped, but the population has increased, and that's why there are more slaves. For instance, in India, of all places, there are over 18 million slaves in India. In China, there are 13 million slaves. And the Uyghurs, I'm sure you probably have heard of them. They are the Muslim Chinese that are thrown into concentration camps. And some of those people, they have their organs harvested without any anesthesia. And they're just held down and they take them. And, you know, some of the organ transplants around the world take place with those individuals. And they're in forced labor camps where they have to work all day, seven days a week. Um, this is going on right now, and not to mention the sex slave industry 
where people are trafficked, boys and girls and men and women are trafficked for that. So to say, I want to be known as a slave uh, in our day and age, you would think, well, why would you want to do that? And that's not even mentioning the Muslim countries who are deeply involved in the black slave trade. Even today, that has been the case. And it's been the case for uh, over a millennia, and, and it is continuing today. So Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the big objections to Christianity is the Old Testament taught that there should be slavery. And you have to get into perspective what slavery was in the Old Testament. And that's why people don't want to even look at it because they think, well, there is slavery there in, in today's day and age. That is uh, verboten. That is the wrong place to go to have a discussion about that. You, you shouldn't be doing that. But Paul wanted to identify himself as a slave. Now, there were Hebrew slaves there were foreign slaves and there were female slaves. They make a distinction, or God makes a distinction in Scripture here. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15, I'm going to go through all three of these. I'm going to give you a couple of Scriptures just to give you some insight as far as slavery is concerned. Now, uh, William Federer, he also did a study up at Jack Hibbs Church on slavery, and he goes through the history of slavery throughout the world and it has always existed. Guess where the place is or a couple of places where they decided to get rid of slavery. It's the United States and Great Britain. Those two countries have said we're not going to have slavery. And the United States has more laws designated to uh, punish the slave trader or somebody who is involved in slavery more than any other country we have more laws. And so to say that we have not done anything in the United States is a misnomer. It's misinformation. We have done more uh, to stop slavery than anyone else in the entire world. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, it talks about a bondservant. And a bondservant would be a slave. It says, if any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you, and serve you six years in the seventh year you must let him go free and when you release them do not send them away empty-handed now this six and seven here it's called a, a sabbath year or sabbatical year where you work for six years and if you're a farmer if you're involved in agrarian society that seventh year you don't plant anything on your field you let it lay fallow and it gets restored the nutrients that are in there the weeds that come up and if there are any poor people and some of your crop does come up, they get to glean from that particular field. And, and so every seven years, there was a rest in the land. And that's part of the reason for the captivity that the Israelites went through is because they failed to observe that. And so God gave them a time of being away to let the ground in Israel um, just rest. And if you took seven of these seven sabbatical years, that was the year of Jubilee. And at the year of Jubilee, if you sold yourself to be a servant because you had a debt, not only would you be released at that seventh year, but especially on the um, the uh, 49th year or going into the 50 year, the year of Jubilee, not only if you sold your land to pay a debt, that land would revert back to you. 
And so the land was always held in a family unit or in one of the tribes. And in each one of those tribes, every family member, when the Israelites came over, they got a plot of land. And that's how it worked. It's a marvelous thing where everything that you give up is returned back to you. And that's what a bond servant would do. You would say, well, you got into debt several thousand dollars in, in this day and age. And you said, you know, I'll work for you. I'll work for you for the next six years and I'll pay off my debt. Say it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the person can agree to that. The person has to take care of you. The person has to provide you shelter and has to provide you food. But you end up working for that individual. And that's exactly what God set up for the Israelites here. Then he says, and when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. And, and so if you became an indentured servant and you were there for a period of six years, it could be less than six years, but if you were there for six years, when you went away, you got stuff from the person you served, whether it's flocks or it's money, whatever it might be, or a wine, a threshing floor, you were to be paid something in return for the years that you spent working. He goes on to say, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I gave you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through the earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free because their service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as that of a hired man. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. So you had the indentured servant, then you had the bond servant. The bond servant, you, you guys remember um, the old Mr. Clean bottles? And he was all dressed in white and he had a shaved head and he had an earring, a gold earring. That would mean he was a slave. That's what that represented. And so if you said, you know, I've worked for these six years and I want to continue to work for you and I'll work for you the rest of my life because the conditions are so good. You think, why should I leave this particular place? I'm, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to work with you. <clears throat> or if the master gave you a wife well you could go free but the wife would have to remain and you could say no i'm going to stay with my wife for the rest of my life as well and so the owner would say all right uh, we have to go before the elders in the gate of the city and we're going to proclaim this it was actually a judicial thing and then the person was taken to the doorpost now if you go to the church office over here you'll see some posts that stick up there and there were doorposts, usually for a covering of some kind. And so you would stick your ear up on the post. Now, you guys know what an awl is. An awl is a, a use to scratch either wood or metal. You draw a line, you get a straight edge, and you draw a line. Or you punch something for like for a drill bit. Well, they had awls back then, kind of like an ice pick. And they would take that ice pick and they say, okay, this is going to hurt you more. It's going to hurt me. And you'd stick that ice pick through the earlobe. And in that earlobe, you'd put a gold ring. That's what you would do. And so during that society at that time, if you were a bond servant, you were identified by that gold ring that would be in your ear. And Paul says, I want to be a bond servant. So I'm saying, uh, go, or he's saying, take me to your door." 
doorpost, Lord, and make me a lifelong servant. So that's a little bit different than the slavery we have today. Then there were foreign slaves. Now, the foreign slaves, usually they could be bought, but they could also be taken during war. And they would bring them into the household and they'd become their slave, the men slaves that were in there. And they were not released. They were not released after six years of service. And it says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, uh, through verse 34, instruction was given about the equal treatment of the person who was a foreign slave. It says, when a stranger resides with you in your land and you shall not do him wrong, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native living among you and you shall love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus twenty four twenty two says, there shall be only one standard for you. It shall be for the stranger as well as the native, for I am the Lord your God. So if somebody became a slave and he was a stranger, he was a foreigner, and you brought him into your household, you were to treat him equally. You were not to mistreat him at all. And then there were female slaves. Now, female slaves could be captured in battle. <clears throat> and there's this accusation that you know, the Israelites, they went into these communities, they killed all the men, they killed all the boys, and they took the women who had never slept with a man to themselves, and they became slaves in their household. Well, there was a requirement there that if you did that, she needed to become your wife. She wasn't simply allowed to come into your household and you mistreat her however you want to. She becomes your own personal slave. She actually becomes a member of the family. She becomes your wife. And the rule was, if you took a woman from a, a war that was out there and you took her into a household and you said, you know, she's pleasing to me. I, I want her to be my wife. She was allowed to mourn for a full month the loss of her parents had to shave her head and cut her nails and she had to pretty much put away all the practices that she had in her pagan society and after that she could have been married but at no time was she to be used as a sex slave remember in Israel as it is today there is to be no uh, sexual relationships with anyone who is not your spouse that's just the way it is whether uh, you are single or divorced or whatever the case might be the only time that is supposed to take place is in the confines of marriage now female slaves in deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 10 uh, going through verse 14 it says this when you go to war against your enemies and the lord your god delivers them into your hands and you take captives if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her you may take her as your wife Bring her into your home and have her shave her head, trim her nails, and put aside the clothes she was wearing when captured. After she has lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave since you have dishonored her. So slavery in all cases except for a bond a foreign slave, either obtained in war or sold, or a slave who becomes a wife, it was required that they were released after six years of service or at the year of Jubilee. And again, the year of Jubilee is seven sets of seven years, which is 49 years. And as you get to the end of that, the 50 year uh, time, or at 50 years, it's a year of Jubilee. Patty and I happen to be 
in Israel on the last year jubilee. We stopped in New York uh, when this took place, and I think this was uh, late 80s, right? Uh, maybe early 90s. <clears throat> but when we went to um, New York, we decided to go into Central Park, and we were walking in Central Park, and we saw this gathering of all these black-rimmed hat juice and long black robes and there was music going on and there was this little amphitheater set up and what is all of this and they're just like having a great wonderful time out there and uh, you could get in as long as you went through this little uh, section this little door and they checked you out and make sure you could go in so we went in and they're just singing and making melodies and when the Jews sing uh, they sing they celebrate and they were just celebrating, and we saw signs around like Rebbe uh, Shanierson was there. He was supposed to be a, a Messiah. There, some of the Jews were saying he is Messiah. And then as you went outside the venue, you saw some Mennonite evangelists trying to evangelize the Jews who were out there. And we thought, this is bizarre in New York, watching the year of Jubilee and the Mennonites witnessing. And the Mennonites, you know, the women, they had the full headgear on. And then we got to Israel. And every night at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall there, they had a, I've told you about it before, they had a full-blown party. And the men were dancing in around, and the women were dancing in around, arm on arm, and they're just singing and yelling. And the bass player, there was a bass player up on a roof, and he had these uh, curls coming down his head, and he had a flat black hat and white T-shirt and suspenders, and he's just jamming away. And This is not what I had in mind for the Jews, but it was a year jubilee. And it was a huge celebration. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to make it to the next year jubilee, but even the Sabbath year, uh, that comes up, they probably do a lot of those same things. So this is why Paul wanted to identify himself as a slave because the bond servant, and that's the proper term, the bond servant is one who dedicates himself to the service of another for their entire lives. And so that's how Paul, he, he doesn't identify himself first as an apostle. He says, no, I'm a slave. Paul, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It, this reminds me, of a song we used to sing back in the 80s. And it was uh, named Pierce My Ear. These are the words. It says, Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other gods. Lord, I'm here to stay. For you have paid the price for me. With your blood you ransom me. I will serve you eternally. A free man I'll never be. And, and we used to sing that. Anybody know that song? Anybody heard it? No one. Boy, I am so old. But we, we, we used to sing that on a regular basis. So we go back to verse 1. Paul, a servant or a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ <clears throat> to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now, I've touched on this before, but since we're here and Paul calls himself an apostle, I need to go through this one more time. We went to a pastor's conference this last week. It was a time of refreshing. It was great. And they even talked about this a little bit. Those people who would call themselves apostles, I do not believe there are any apostles alive today. I mean, that's just the bottom line. No apostles. And if there were apostles, <clears throat> I would say that Don McClure could be considered an apostle because what he does, he's the head of the Calvary Chapel Association. He, his mission has always been go one place, start a church, 
set up the leadership and go to another place, start a church, set up the leadership. And that's what he does. He, go, he goes around. And now he's in charge of the CCA and he still travels around. And he just makes sure that everything is, is going good. And so, but he's not an apostle. And he would tell you that himself. He's not an apostle. So if you see anybody calling themselves an apostle, it's not biblical uh, to do that. Now, why would you say that? Well, I have several points here. I want to make sure that you have this information under your belt, so to speak. We know that Jesus himself was called an apostle. So he's one. And if you add that to the 12, well, that's 13. And if you add Barnabas and Silas and a few others, there's more than 12 apostles. But there was a designation for the 12. Now, the apostles were sent out to preach. In Mark 3.14, he appointed the 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So that was one of the main tasks of an apostle. You go out to preach. They were chosen by Jesus himself. Nobody else chose the apostles except for Jesus. They had to uh, pass the muster, the scrutiny of Jesus when he is here on earth and even after he was here. Remember, Paul was appointed an apostle after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He, he met him on a road to blinding light and uh, Jesus spoke to him clearly. And for the next uh, 12 to 14 years, he studied and got revelation from Jesus himself. Now, going on, there were the other apostles. They had to be from John's baptism until the resurrection when they were looking to replace Judas and Matthias. They cast lots, and Matthias' name came up. And that was one of the conditions. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, some might say, well, Paul wasn't there. No, I would tell you Paul was there. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin were in Jerusalem and when Jesus would show up to Jerusalem I guarantee you Paul was there on the outside just probably fuming walking back and forth as Jesus is teaching inside of the temple area and I'm sure he heard Jesus himself speak then uh, a thing that is a marker of an apostle there are actually three things signs wonders and miracles uh, in Acts 5.12 says this, uh, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders amongst the people. And Second Corinthians 12.12 says the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. And I've always told you when I've talked about this before, if somebody claims to be an apostle, you would ask them, so what miracle have you performed? And if they say, a miracle of people getting saved, we've seen miracle healings and all of that. Well, what about all these other qualifications? Were you with Jesus Christ? Did you see him? Are you part of the foundation of the church? That's another one that comes up in Scripture. Uh, they are, are part of the foundation with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets. Foundation of the church has already been laid. And they've had to have seen Jesus. And when Paul defends his apostleship, in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? 
So he saw him. Now, if an apostle, and there are some false teachers today that would say, well, I've seen Jesus. He appeared to me in a vision or he's standing right in my room. What miracles have you done? And I'm talking about real miracles. I'm talking about raising somebody from the dead. Uh, taking somebody who has been born blind and restoring their sight. Somebody who has been born uh, as a cripple, uh, quadriplegic or paraplegic. And you say, hey, take up your mat, start walking. If somebody does that kind of miracle, I'm listening, you know, because, and, and then I'm listening to what they have to say. And it better comport with scripture. It better say exactly, or they better say exactly what scripture has to say. And if they say, the Lord has sent me, I'm an apostle, and I saw Jesus and all that, it, well, the miracles are really going to be the definitive thing. But <clears throat> people claim to see miracles all the time. It was a miracle. The scratch on my hand just healed up. And no, that's, that's not a miracle. That's what the body does. It's a miracle that we live in these bodies, but that's another subject. Now, they are the foundation of the church, like I said, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, uh, or writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So that's the foundation of the church. If somebody goes out and plants churches, and they establish the leadership there, and they move on, they're just probably a pastor or a teacher going out there they might even be an evangelist that's okay but the office of an apostle is no longer here today that has been sealed up so going back to verse one paul a bond servant and an apostle of jesus christ to further the faith of god's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness so paul desired to increase the faith and knowledge of those believers in crete any good Bible teacher will want to do that, want to give you information, want to give you instruction, just like the tags on the T-shirt or on the soup can. You're going to have instruction that is there. He hoped to do this by providing order for the church with instruction. If you don't have order, remember 1 Corinthians talks about our God is a God of order. There must be order inside the church. Otherwise, if you're delivering instruction and there is no order, none of it will take. And if the instruction were to be followed, it would inevitably lead to godliness. Whatever you see in the scriptures, and it's a command or it's delivered in the imperative mood, so to speak, then if you follow it, it will lead to godliness, which results in salvation and glorification, justification, all of those things. So this godliness is evidence of eternal life, which God promised before the foundations of the earth were even set. Now that means he has always had a plan. Now, if you spoke in an anthropomorphic sense, if you spoke in a way that we understand, it's like God sat down and imagine he had a pen. He didn't need a pen, but imagine he had a pen and he had a piece of paper or, or a book and he started writing down, this is what I'm going to do. Keeping a journal or a list of to-dos. I'm going to create the earth. I'm going to populate it with all kinds of beasts. I'm going to create Adam and Eve. And I'm going to establish a plan. I know they're going to fall, but I'm going to establish a plan where they are going to have the opportunity to be saved from their sin that they're going to commit. And all these people are going to be born, and I know each one of them by name. I'm going to appoint a specific time and place where they're going to be born and where they're going to live around the world. And it's going to end in the culmination of the rapture of the church, the millennium, 
which Jesus will rule. Uh, Jesus, you're going to rule. The Father would say, you're going to rule for a thousand years on earth. And after that, Satan's going to be released. And after that, white throne judgment. And after that, new heaven and new earth. So he had this plan all set out. By the way, he has a plan set out for what he's going to do after that. It's already set in stone, so to speak. He already knows. That's a big book he's writing. All that information is there. He knows everything about everyone, about every planet, about every place in the universe. He knows it all right now, and he knows it all the way through eternity because time doesn't end. It just keeps on going. We serve a big God. And he's able to do that because he's all-powerful. He's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. He knows all things, and he talks about God's elect. Now, you've heard this predestination and God's elect and he chose us and all of that is true. It says in scripture, Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's one of the things he wrote in his book, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons of Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And that's the New King James Version. So God determined that we would be chosen to salvation. If you have accepted Christ, God chose you before the earth was ever created. And if you say, well, but I accepted the salvation. Yes, that is true as well. Romans eight twenty nine, going back on God chose us, says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. To, to say justified, it means to be in right standing with God. Uh, if you got a traffic ticket and you show it before the judge and the judge looks at you and say, how do you plead? And you plead guilty or not guilty by the time the whole thing is done you either have paid your debt to society or he has forgiven you and you were justified before the judge that's what god does with us we either pay the penalty or he forgives us and for those who have accepted christ he forgives us and he chose us to be forgiven now this is also Romans eight twenty eight or 29 through 30. It has delivered in the past tense. I don't know if you notice that. I'll read it again. And those he predestined, past tense, he also called, past tense. Those he called, he also justified, past tense. Those he justified, he also glorified. You have already been glorified. Really? I don't don't look very shiny this morning. You know, yesterday I was a little bit gritty and there was no shine on me at all. And the shine is going to come from the inside. This is past tense. And scripture also says we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. How is that possible? I don't know how that's possible, except God's outside of time. And for God, why did God create time? It's so that everything doesn't happen all at once. But God is through time and beyond time. And it's just hard to get your mind around this. But being outside of time, he said, no, I'm choosing you. And it's not just that he looked down through the 
a millennia of time and said, I know who's going to choose me, therefore I'm going to predestine them to be saved. It's not just that. It is, I am choosing you because I want to. And to reconcile that a little bit, that can lead to fatalism, where people say, it doesn't matter what I do. If God chose me, I'm going to be saved. That's the end of story. Well, but scripture teaches the other side of this as well. Like Romans ten thirteen, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means we must say something, do something, but it's not a work. It is something that we believe in our heart. It's something that we confess, but it is not a work. Luke 13, 1 says, Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So you see, the both are true. Now, through the centuries, we have tried to reconcile this. And you have the Calvinists and you have the Arminians. I'm neither, but they say, well... If God's in control and he chose us and he predestined us, you have no choice in the matter. And if you're saved, that's great. But he also predestined and chose people to go to hell. I don't believe that. But that's what the Calvinists would say. On the other hand, the Arminians would say, you have to choose. And if you don't choose, then you're going to perish. But if you do choose and you decide to walk away, you can lose your salvation as well. So it's all contingent upon you. And I don't agree with that either. But the Bible teaches God chose us. We are elect. And we confess Christ. And so we did something in that, but it is not a work. How are you going to reconcile that? You're not. You know, at this pastor's conference, I uh, was able to speak to Dr. Jason Lyle. He is a, uh, I think he's an astronomer. And he, he does, he has a lot of YouTube videos as far as the universe and the creation of the universe. He's a six day literalist. That God created everything in, in six literal days. I got a book uh, that was given to me uh, from him, and I'm, I'm going to go through that. And he has a theory that uh, the speed of light coming towards us is infinite, but going away from us, it's 186,000 miles per second, and there's really no way to measure it. And so I asked him some questions about that. It was just kind of interesting to me. But I also uh, enjoy listening to Hugh Ross. And Hugh Ross will say the universe is 13 and a half billion years old. And there has not been a more contentious debate in Christendom than those two. And both of them have great arguments on either side. It's not just theory. They, they have some solid evidence. And it, for me to try to figure that out, now both of these guys are PhDs. Maybe they're a little too smart for their britches. I don't know. And, and I just look at it and I just go, I don't know. I believe that the earth was created in six days, but I see the universe is old. So how am I going to reconcile that? I, I can't. I can't reconcile that. It's the same thing. Did God choose us or did we confess Christ? And which one is true? I can't reconcile that. There's, that means God's a lot bigger than I am. 
and, and he's a lot more intelligent and knows a lot more than I do. There's some things, and you know, I've been working at this for a long time, and I've read both sides on both of these issues, and it's just like, I, I don't know. I'm at a loss. But then there's the militant contingent. If you don't believe this, then you're destroying the gospel. No, I preach the gospel. I, I just can't reconcile this in my mind. And the same thing with the Calvinists versus Arminius. The Calvinists seek to really evangelize the Arminius because if you're chosen for destruction and they evangelize you, then that's going to be a real problem. So they can't do that. And they're really adverse to going out and evangelizing, although some reformed or Calvinistic uh, believers do. And, and then on the other side, you know, you, you give the uh, um, gospel to every single person that's on the face of the earth, and hopefully God will accept them and you'll not fall away. It's just, I'm not going to reconcile both of those. There seems to be verses that say that if you don't abide, that if you don't keep his commands, well, you're not saved. Does that mean you lose your salvation or you're never really saved? It, these things we are not going to be able to resolve. There's just no way to do it. And I don't want to be contentious about that. It especially says in Scripture that the servant of the Lord must not argue over these things. Now, you can have a good discussion, and it's fun to have a good discussion. But to argue about these and separate, and that's what churches do. That's why we have denominations. Same thing with baptism. You know, they're the Baptist, And if you don't do it the Baptist way, then... Obviously, you're going to hell. You, you don't understand what Scripture says. Or if you do the sprinkle or if you do the pouring, that's just not acceptable. But then there's people who say, you can do sprinkle, pouring, whatever you want to do. And then there's people that say, you can have Doritos and Coke for a communion. You don't need the wafer and the cup. And it's all about the intent. It's like, I feel, just stop already. You know, just stop this arguing back and forth. We don't need to do that. What's the important thing? It's promoting Jesus Christ and the salvation which is out there. These are all in-house debates. You know, or, or, uh, pre-rapture, uh, post-rapture, uh, mid-trib rapture, all of those. It's like, it really doesn't matter. Now, I love talking about all of these things. But I'm not going to wring somebody's neck if they don't get it right, you know, in, in my view. And I think that's how we should handle it. So God's elect, those were destined for salvation at a particular time made by a promise long ago, which has now been, as commanded by God, revealed by Paul and by others. He goes on in verse 2. We're actually to verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Again, there's so much just in this verse. God always has a plan. And he's always had a plan with specific timing. Uh, Paul writes, and which now at his appointed season. You know, there's nothing like the right time. Is there the right time to be in the stock market and the wrong time to be in the stock market? Is there the right time to hold bonds and not hold bonds? Is there the right time to get in crypto? Uh, you know, I, I know of a guy who got into crypto with $2,500. Now he's living uh, a little north of here on the beach and he spends $13,000 a month in rent because he has so much money. $13,000 a month in rent. 
because he got it in the market at the right time. Timing is everything, and God knows that. Not with crypto, but he, he knows that with our salvation and how we're supposed to uh, receive him and all of that. And talk about timing, being the right person at the right time in the right place. You guys remember the U.S. Airways Flight 1549 on the Hudson, Captain Sully Sullenberger, how he happened to be the right guy at the right time. I don't know if you saw that movie, but it was such a, a great movie, a description at the end. They showed him and uh, some of the other survivors of that. And not one person was lost because he had such wisdom on how to land that plane in the Hudson River and everybody else that came around, the right place at the right time. Let me tell you another little story about perfect timing. <clears throat> On any giving morning, this person writes, I will pray and ask the Lord to use me to help someone through sharing his word or help them. Yesterday, as almost every day, he answered the prayer. Why not? That's what he wants us to do, right? But yesterday was unique because I never expected to be able to see how he guided me into a position to save an infant from serious injury. God's timing is something that is unmatched in this world by scientists and the greatest of the project planners. I had lunch at a Chick-fil-A, <clears throat> which is my usual spot to eat lunch in Macon, Georgia. <clears throat> Excuse me. I received my food and looked for a place to sit because the place was crowded. I saw a booth which would have been ideal because I usually open my iPad and read while I'm eating. Or read while I'm eating. <clears throat> An employee rushed over to the booth and said she had to clean up the water a customer before me had spilled. I looked around and saw another seat and told her I would sit somewhere else. But the table needed cleaning also, so I decided to wait a few minutes until the booth was ready. There were other seats, but I simply waited, even though I had grown impatient. I had finished my meal and was sitting there reading when a lady sat across from me. She had a small child and an infant in one of those baby carrier things. She finally got situated as it was difficult for her to do because of the food and her two children. Just as she sat down and was about to eat, the baby carrier fell from her table and I caught it. Before the baby hit the floor. I am 59 years old <clears throat> and I haven't moved that fast since I played sports in high school. After about 20 minutes, the lady who was obviously shaken turned to me and said, I don't know if anyone has told you, but you are, have fast reflexes. Thank you for being an angel. At that moment, I realized what had happened and I'd got nervous about the thought of this infant child falling face first to the floor. Then I realized that God knew that baby carrier would slip from the table so he had me wait through my impatience so I could be in a position to catch the falling child. The lady and I talked briefly and when she thanked me again I told her it was God's timing and doing not mine. You can be in the right place at the right time. You know I started to cringe to think about it because I have a three month old grandson if he was in a carrier and he was to fall face first to the ground, it, it just 
causes me to cringe on the inside. And there is an appointed time and season for all of us. And if we pay attention and respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he will use us to do something wonderful if we listen, if we, if we pay attention, in spite of the fact that we might be impatient. This man was impatient. Uh, you could be saving a plane full of people. You could be saving an infant in a car seat. Or you could be saving a soul which is lost. And we should always proceed in our day with the attitude that God wants to use us in a specific way to perform some task or duty that might result in benefit to others and even an eternal benefit. Now, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. That means everything that you do for God, that you set out to do, he already had written down for us to do. And it's written in a book somewhere. And God says, you will do this. Even as you leave here today, if you decide to do something for God, he has it written down. That's the good work that you have been appointed to do. And you're going to end up blessing somebody to help somebody in some way or even bring to them salvation. And just like Paul, we have been given a trust. Now, that's the trust he was given. He says, and which now at the appointed time he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. You have a trust. You have a, a assignment. And that assignment usually is in line with whatever your gift is. And God wants you to be prepared with that. And he'll set you up in order to accomplish that particular task. <clears throat> so a gift was given to you by a direct command of God, just like the gift was given to Paul to preach the gospel. Now, to apply all this we may all be able to say and believe I'm a bondservant, a slave of Christ. That's what we need to do. Instead of just saying, you know, I am who I am and I'm going to get the goods and, you know, people are going to admire me for the things that I accomplish or you can think in a fleshly manner like that, but may we all be able to say that we are simply just bondservants. We just want to be a slave for Jesus. Now, I have chosen, or you have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and by the command of God, you have been given a specific task for this life. The exhortation is to be faithful to carry out that which has been entrusted to you. If you don't know what has been entrusted to you, ask God. If you say, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know exactly how you want to use me today or this next week or what's in store for the future. We're to be content as each day comes, but each as each day comes, we look forward to doing something for Jesus, the things that he has preordained that we should carry out. So if you're unsure, ask him. If you know what your gift is, it's probably along the lines of your gift. And with that, like this guy who was being impatient at the table, he could have easily started to complain, Right? There's always reasons to complain. Complain, it it becomes something that is natural for us. We complain about everything. I talked on this, I think, last week or the week before. But the beginning of wisdom is humility. And we're supposed to be humble before the Lord. And when we have a tendency to be impatient, we're not being very humble because I am being inconvenienced and I am setting myself up uh, on the throne. So uh, 
you know, one of the things too, I'm going to close with this, this pastor's conference that we went to, it was certainly a, a time of refreshing and reflection. It was good. And one thing that I walked away with was in this church over this past year and a half, two years, we have been right in step with what the spirit wants to do. For instance, the closing, the opening, uh, the direction, the opposition, the singing. You know, we're told not to sing. And the pastors who got up there and were speaking, my seniors, they were saying, I was just not going to have it. They told me how to sing. I was not going to have it. God tells us to worship him and we're going to worship. Or gathering together, Hebrews 10.25, they talked about that. And when they opened they knew that something wasn't right, and so they opened same time that we opened. And the closing, everybody closed because we didn't know what we were dealing with. And just how we have come about where we are today and talking about politics and the culture, they all, they started mentioning it. Now, politics is not number one, but if you talk about politics or if you just talk about the Bible and you don't mention the culture and you don't mention the politics in our culture, then all you're doing is giving Bible instruction without application. And, and, there, and, and these pastors were all talking about it. Like, we, we got to talk about this. They talked about the, the current administration and how that's affecting us and, and what's that doing to the church and how the, the state is coming down on us and the, the persecution in, in different levels. You know, when we were up in San Bernardino County, you couldn't go into a restaurant without the face mask on. And here in San Diego, we're open. And if you went to a, another place up there, we were by Chino Hills, you could walk right in. We went to a Jack Hibbs Church thousand people and we're in there like sardines and nobody had a mask on you know it's like it's just kind of insane and so everything that these guys were talking about and this is across the country you know all the way from new york and uh, um, stacy or um, i forget his name anyhow down in georgia and joe foch and all the people that were talking we ha- and we haven't contacted i haven't contacted any of them we just Made a decision here. This is what we're going to do. We have been right in step with what all these other Calvary chapels are doing. And so the, the people that said, you know, you better keep the mask on the people or else. Or you better not sing or else. I, I'm sorry. We have been doing what the Spirit has asked us to do. And that brings comfort to me. And it's not just me. It's all of us have made the decision. And so God has given us specific timing to do what we're supposed to do. And we are falling right in line with that. And you should be encouraged that we're following what the Lord has asked us to do. And sometimes you, you're not quite sure. But if you just ask God for direction, he provides that direction. May you open yourself up to being used by God in any situation. And may your impatience not hinder you. May God give you supernatural ability to recognize it when you're getting impatient. You want to set yourself on the throne and say, I'm being inconvenienced here. And rather might you say, God, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise, honor, and glory that you have directed here in this church as well as the other Calvaries across the country and many other churches. You are working in all of them. And we wish to be submissive to you, Lord. 
We ask that you would use us. Reveal to us those works which you foreordained that we should accomplish before the foundations of the earth. And Lord willing, we will do this with perseverance and with patience and with joy. May you accomplish this according to your will. In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.